listeners, and welcome to the Pregnancy Help Podcast. Um, we're delighted that you have joined us. Today we are welcoming Sue Baumgarten, who's had lots of different roles with LifeHouse of Houston, and she'll tell us a little bit about that. Um, she really brings her housing expertise, uh, but then we're talking about the work of boards, and especially some of the ways in which working with boards can get a little challenging or get a little sticky. So we're going to kind of enter into difficult board dynamics um, and use her experience both as an executive director and a board member, as well as other roles. So Sue, we're super glad you are joining us today. Uh, would you mind just telling us a bit about yourself and kind of a bit about your, your history? Hi, Mary. Yes, I'm so excited to be here on this little podcast today. Um, I do have, I actually have more of a history and background of board leadership than I do being a house mother or an executive director in the housing ministry at Lifehouse in Houston. So I, and I've also sat on other nonprofit boards in my three decades of um, work, kingdom work, and I have experienced a lot of difficult board dynamics, um, both as the being the chairman of a board for six years for LifeHouse, uh, being an executive director with LifeHouse for almost four years, um, sitting on just being a, a board member of many other boards other than LifeHouse, and serving on the LifeHouse board specifically, probably you know, 20 of the 30 years that I've been uh, serving in the ministry. So I have a lot of experience, good and bad, and I'm so um, excited just to talk about board dynamics because I think it's one of the most critical dynamics that needs to be good for the, for the ministries that we're trying to help. So I think board dynamics are really important. Yeah, there's a, a whole lot that could be said about board dynamics and, you know, there's tons of trainings and that type of thing. So we only have a short window, so we're going to just hit on a few different things and try and pick your brain and get some advice. I um, would like to just start with the idea of the relationship between the executive director and the board, right? That That is meant to be kind of this two-way flowing street of um, of governance and authority, um, but it, it's a one that can get a little complicated really quickly. So do we have any advice just on, I suspect most most of the folks listening are um, executive directors rather than board members, just advice on how to manage that dynamic? So yes, it is the most important relationship. And it's one where you want to have the clearest communication and you're really walking almost hand in hand with your board chair um, as you are both leading um, the ministry. Obviously, the board chair is not on staff, and you as the executive director are on staff. And the I think the, the best way for me, that the best way that's worked for me to visualize the how this relationship is, is I go to the scriptures and I see in 1 Timothy that uh, in chapter 3, we, we uh, the scriptures talk about being an overseer. And so your board of directors as a whole is your is your overseeing group, like your umbrella 
if you want to use a different word, your umbrella. And so you're covering as the executive director. So then your relationship with your board chairman is your most important relationship because that's who you're going to talk to with the most frequency because you can't talk to, depending on how large your board is, you cannot bend everybody's ear with things that are going on with the ministry um, that often. So your board chair makes themselves accessible to you and your board chair is who you can go to and and, and bounce things off of a couple of times a month is ideal to talk to your board chair. And what you're looking for is that covering and you're looking and your board chair is hopefully there to, to help you see possible stumbling blocks that you can't see. Because I was just talking to an executive director this morning and I said, as, as she's talking to me more as a mentor and a coach, I, I told her that I because I, I'm I can see things like at a ten thousand foot view, and I can see some symptoms, and it's almost like you're going to the doctor and you're telling them your symptoms, and they can pretty much diagnose that uh, illness that you're having. That's what your relationship with your board chair can be like. It's a close communication where you can describe your symptoms. And your board chair can help you see things. So communication is really important. And it's also important to understand what I think we've talked about in many board sessions is just understanding that the board chairman is not the, the executive director and not doing the work of the ministry. The executive director is doing the work of the ministry and needs to have that freedom. But so your board chair is really for advice and prayer. And um, that's what I would say. Yeah, no, that's a great summary. Yeah. Uh, Heartbeat uses the language of management versus governance, right? The management okay. management is the executive director. They're doing the, the implementation of the mission um, and the board is responsible for the governance, the strategic vision um, piece. So yeah, just exactly like you described. So yeah, thanks for that. So there's a few different ways in which board dynamics can get uncomfortable and we could talk about a kind of, um, there's probably a, an infinite number of ways to talk about that. We've picked out a few just to hit on. Um, one that I'd like to start with is this idea that the kind of the board being maybe out of touch with the reality of day-to-day -day operations, right? In some ways, listening to you, that's their role, right? Their role is to not be in the nitty gritty of it all. Um, and yet sometimes staff can feel like the board is responsible for making decisions and yet they're out of touch with the, the actual reality of, of what happens within the program. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic? Well, I think the, the problem is that the board of directors needs continual education. And when we're, when you're on staff, you're in it every day. And so you by because you're in it every day, you obviously get what you're doing, but then we as staff people have an expectation that the board understands what we're doing and they just don't. And they really, I'm most board members are willing to get more education. They just need to be guided and trained so that they can get more education. And there's also, and, and when I say more education, 
that can come depending on your 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 specific ministry and what what you are comfortable with is that can come with them doing more hands-on volunteering in the ministry so that they get a feel and a sense for what is really going on at the ground level that can also come from reading certain articles that you the executive director um, stumble upon you know in your feeds with through the National Maternity Housing Coalition, through Heartbeat International, through Focus on the Family, through any type of uh, pro-life, life action group that you, articles that you're, you think this would be good for my board to read and just giving them access to educate themselves about the movement itself to ed- and then and then certain books that even within your training with your staff regarding the women and the population that you serve, if you're, if you're doing trauma-informed care or you're utilizing some, some type of curriculum that you have found that really works with the women. So take a little bit of time at a board meeting to educate the board about the client that you're serving so that they become, they, they are not just walking into a board meeting with coming in with all of their, you know, they might work in this uh, secular corporate America. They may be housewives, what, whatever, but they're not, they need, we need to remember as executive directors that we need to train our board. We need to give them the materials to help educate them and we need to help them. And and this is a, a gets back Mary to the relationship with the board chairman that the executive director should be educating the board chairman. So the board chairman can then lead the board in better education. So a lot of these things fall into the ED's lap when the ED should really be looking to the board chair to educate and train and grow up the board. There are really great books available for training your board, for uh, educating your board on the movement. There are, there's just, a, we, we have resources for board training, but I think education is oftentimes neglected. And then we, the executive director, get we get frustrated that our board doesn't know no more, but really that we just need to train them and not expect them to know things. Yeah, well said. Uh, thanks, Sue. Maybe thinking about another really common dynamic. So there's kind of the extremes, right? So one extreme is board members become unresponsive. They kind of check out. They don't come to meetings. They're inactive. The other extreme is that they're a little bit too involved, right? That they're kind of getting their fingers maybe in some areas um, that aren't within the scope of board board work. I think the inactive piece is one that's really common, though. Can you speak to what happens if you if you start to have board members who are just kind of slipping off the radar? Well, okay. So I think that it's really, I mean, I serve currently on the LifeHouse Board of Directors. And every couple of years, LifeHouse is now, we were founded in 1988. And I got involved in 19, I think, 92 at getting on the board as a, a younger woman. Um, but, but what I was going to say is that what that problem is regarding board dynamics, we just renamed one of our board committees to be the shepherding committee. 
And, and what we are putting into place, which I think is a great idea, and we've done it off and on over the decades that I've been involved, but we're doing an annual board evaluation form. Like we're evaluating each board member to see how much involvement they've had with the ministry over the past year and doing an annual re-election. I mean, we have a we want people to serve at Lifehouse for a three-year term that's renewable. We're not trying to um, get rid of people. Actually, the, the longer you can have a board member on the board that's an active board member and engaged in the ministry and a healthy board member, you don't want to get them off the bus but you do want to have this annual review so that if someone you're noticing they're kind of disappearing, you know, what's the right word? We're supposed to be serving one another in love. And, and sometimes, sometimes something could be going on with that family that you don't understand, but it just takes reaching out in love and saying, I've noticed that you have been pretty absent at board meetings. And can you tell me what's going on? And to see, maybe it's a season for them that they need to step off of the board. But without doing, it's like we we talked about at Lifehouse, like we go to the doctor for an annual checkup and just to make sure that we're healthy and staying healthy. But a lot of times for board of directors, they don't do that. They like, you know, you're signing up for a three-year term and it's renewable and on and on and on. And, and, And a person just ends up sitting on the board and they're not they're not involved and they're not helping matters. They're, they may they may not be hurting matters, but implementing some type of annual review and prayerful uh, just thinking about God, where do you want me to serve within this ministry? Or is it time, Lord, that you want me to do something else? But really bringing the Lord in and doing the annual review is a very healthy way to um, talk about inactive boards or maybe too active of a board member. Anyway, getting back to, I think that an annual evaluation that's done by a, a, a committee or the chairman or the officers of the board, just a self-health check would be very helpful for the issue at hand. I know you coach a lot of startups or, or, you know, organizations that are early in their development. There's a place in organizational development where, you know, maybe early on the board was really involved, right? They were helping get things started. They were showing up to help run the organization. And then there's a point of transition where in move we call it the movement from a working board into a governing board, right? That, that kind of transition into mm-hmm. no longer involved in the day-to-day. I don't know if you could talk to anyone that might be in that particular situation where where it's a pretty uncomfortable phase <laughs> for a lot of organizations uh, moving through that transition. Well, when you're first starting up, which I wasn't a founder of the Ministry of Lifehouse, but the when the founding board and founding boards have, I mean, I think it's across the board, when you have a founding board, they have to be very hands-on in the ministry because there's you don't have the staff to do the work that needs to be done of the ministry. So they start to take on what are more like staff roles. But as the ministry grows and God provides funding for there to be staff, then the board slowly has to back out. And and again, this is where there can be a problem of 
uh, the gov- the founding board turning into a governing board because they're used to being so hands-on. And it's also, I will put a little voice in your ear about having term limits. Term, You can always make exceptions to term limits if you really want a board member to be on the board forever. But sometimes as the organization evolves and morphs, um, if people cannot allow the staff to start doing the work of the ministry and the board to start being just that overseer and prayer covering and, as you use the word, governance, that governance that is needed, that uh, these decisions and vision and strategy that need to come and be made at the board level, sometimes those people cannot transition. And so slowly they would need to roll off the board and you would need to get new board members who understand that they're coming in to a, a more of a governing board, not a hands-on doing all the work of the ministry. I think, again, that just is very, there just needs to be clear communication and honesty and love with, you know, board membership is volunteer. It's a volunteer position. And it, and so, you know, we as executives, as executive directors get frustrated with our board sometimes, but these people are, are doing this out of the goodness of their heart and wanting to serve the Lord and using their gifts. But, but sometimes we have to be clear and sometimes we have to have loving yet hard conversations with board members. That's well said. <laughs> loving but hard. Yes. Um Another area kind of in that early stages of development, especially if you have a strong executive director, strong founding, you know, that a board can kind of uh, lapse into maybe a rubber stamping kind of role where they aren't actually doing the thinking for the organization. They're relying on um, staff to do the thinking and they're just kind of rubber stamping decisions. So and it plays a lot out in the early stages, especially with founders. Can you talk a little bit about that dynamic and how to kind of help help the board to assume the role of really taking on the, the key, you know, thinking that needs to happen for the organization? Well, something that really helped us with that um, is committee work. So that helped the rubber stamping go down because it forced every board member to be on a committee. And depending on how many committees we had, then board members either chaired one of those committees or they, you know, served as a member on the committee. And the committees that we have, we also will ask community members not on the board to serve on committees as well, just to grow that table of people. And and then what you have when you have, and then you have committee meetings between board meetings and so you have actual board members getting involved with hearing what's going on with the program or with development or with um, finance. And, and then they, they can't be rubber stampers because they are being called to action to be part, participants in the meeting. And they, are, they, become acti- they just become active members instead of rubber stampers. But... Y- Use, utilizing the committee structure ha, is very helpful. And, and I find that that's not something that all boards have. So, and then I hear, you know, the executive director telling me, well, she's, she's like running the show. 
and they're just rubber stamping, but they haven't set up committees yet. So I recommend, well, why don't you set up some committees? And I think you'll see a decrease in the rubber stamping. Yeah. At a different stage in development, it's kind of a, um, you know, as an organization kind of transitions through leadership, you then have directors who inherit a board, right? Who inherit a board that perhaps a previous um, leader develops, right? So that they brought on the people, they knew the people, and now you're inheriting this board that you now have to work with and plan with. Any thoughts to folks that are in the kind of that stage of organizational development? Well, this I'm going to use because I feel like I'm kind of, I'm so old. I have a lot of sayings, but one (laughs) of the sayings that has been, tried and true is that you spell love T-I-M-E. So as a new executive director, getting the old executive director's board of directors, the, the only way that I have seen it work out uh, is that that new executive director has to invest by spending time, usually over coffee or lunch, or dinners, because they have to build relationship. The only way to build trust with these, with, within the board of directors and an executive director that's inheriting a board is to build relationship. And that takes T-I-M-E. And that takes extra time than, that the ED doesn't really have but it's a worthwhile investment because that's where the bonding occurs. You've got to set up time for bonding. And, and that's, that's really the only way that I believe there's going to be any type of ability for the new board, I mean, the old board to trust and gain confidence in the new executive director is by spending time with that executive director one-on-one or two-on-one, just getting to really know the person. Yeah, I know that's great uh, insights. Just the just the the um, the saying is wonderful too. So it applies to all sorts of programmatic <laughs> implications as well as the board. Yes. <laughs> When we asked, we asked on our uh, housing Facebook group, you know, what are some of your board experiences? And several people use the word toxic. There's a, they have a toxic member, right? There's a, someone that's really just a voice of discontent or a voice of, you know, uh, I don't know, toxicity. What do you do if you feel like you have members that are not, um, not pouring love into the organization, but rather pouring some type of uh, negativity? Well, okay, so... I go to Matthew 18, and Matthew 18 is my uh, blueprint for handling conflict. But the toxic person or the personality, you know, I'm a conflict avoider at my core, so I don't want to talk about this uh, <laughs> because it's it's hard. But being a in a leadership role. It has to be handled. If you try to sweep it under the rug, like if you avoid the fact that you have cancer, you will die. If you find, if you do try to fight it, you may die anyway, but sometimes cancer can be cured. And so with a toxic board member, I would go to Matthew 18, which says that you go to the person one-on-one. You don't, it's not, you're not making a public spectacle of this but you're trying to handle it in an intimate, again, 
I say lead with love. I would include prayer and fasting. I would, again, get my board chair involved because this is the other thing. A lot of times the ED tries to wear the role of the board chair. And it's, and it's really the board chair that needs to deal with this toxic board member. Now, if the board chair is your toxic board member, then we got another problem that we got to talk about because then you're going to have to go to the vice chair or something. You're going to have to get, if, 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 it's, if your board chairman is your toxic person, you may need to get your pastor. I don't, I don't exactly know what I would recommend if it's your board chair that's the toxic person. But if it's not the board chair that's your toxic person, I would talk to the board chair and, and then have first get together with the person one-on-one. If the person you know, is receptive to in love, trying to change and work through the issue, whatever that issue may be. And then the other thing that I've found is so helpful is even if you're, you know, like you're in a battle between of the wills with this person, you know, just to say, I own, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm sorry for whatever I've done to cause the fact that we're not agreeing on things and seeing eye to eye and, but just being honest with the person and, and seeing what the, what the Lord does, because the Lord honors our desire to love and honor our board members. And again, the board members are actually supposed to be our, as executive directors, our overseers. So this is why I, I, if I was the ED, I would try to get my board chair to talk to this person because that's really not my, it's really not my job as the ED to handle those board affairs. It's my board chairman's just, uh, job to, to run that board in a healthy way and deal with toxicity at the board level. Not to say that your board chair will do that, but that's in an ideal situation. Your board chair should do that and be the one who's going to take up the gauntlet for you to help that toxic person either settle down or possibly, you know, it get off the board if it's just not the right time and season for that person. And, but a lot of, a lot of the battle that we fight is in the heavenly. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities that are coming against us because they desire, the enemy desires to, you know, always be tripping us up in one way or the other, because what we're trying to do is advance the kingdom for life. And it's hard. Amen. Yeah. I remember as an executive director, my own strategy, I too am a conflict avoider, right? So having to have hard conversations, you know, it just takes everything you've got to muster them up. And I personally like to schedule them all on the same day. So if I knew I had a series of hard conversations, I would just fr- I would just load them into the same day so that I knew I was going to have one hard day <laughs> and I could prep for it and I could pray into it and I could get ready and I didn't have to like spread these like scary conversations out over many days. So that was my own strategy for what it's worth, uh, for better or for worse. That's, a, that's good. That's good. <laughs> Maybe just quickly, so, you know, you can solve a lot by bringing the right people on the board, right? By by having good vetting up front um, and really communicating. We're, we're a little light on time, but if you have any thoughts on how to bring the right people on or practices that you've used that you really think are, are worth talking about. 
So I have a book. I wish I, I wish we were doing Zoom because I have like this whole stack of books that I but I one that's real easy to remember is called Good to Great by Jim Collins. And it it just helped us at Lifehouse build a, build our board for years and years and years. And the and the analogy that this author uses is you won't you're you're talking your board of directors is likened to a school bus and you only have X amount of seats on the school bus. So you want to be very careful who you're inviting onto the school bus because you have a finite number of seats to fill. And so you got to be extra careful who you invite on the bus. And so it's, and it's also easy to get people to come onto the bus, not so easy to push them off the bus. So you want to, and I think this also is, for EDs regarding not their board, but just in hiring period to hire slow and fire fast. I'll just throw that in for free. Um, but, <laughs> but taking into consideration what, and, and all, well, I'm just, of course, we want to always go to the Lord and say, who are you all, whose heart are you already stirring for this position? This is your ministry, not mine. Who do you want us to talk to? And really practicing some listening prayer with who the Lord, I mean, it's supernatural, but I know I'm speaking to people who believe in supernatural. The Lord will drop names into your head as to who to approach and you you will be shocked to find that they were already thinking about it when you make the phone call, thinking they're probably going to think I'm crazy that I'm going to tell them that the Lord gave me their name. But the Lord the Lord knows who He wants on your board of directors. So I would first and foremost recommend that you practice listening prayer regarding who to go to to fill your next board position. Then I would. When I'm when you meet with that person and you're talking to them, ask them a lot of questions. And it's also good to go with your board chair or someone from your board. Um, and actually, again, in a healthy board, your board is getting new board members. You, the executive director, are not. You don't get involved until they're ready to be coming onto the board. Because your board should be adding more board members, not you, the executive director. But again, that's you're, I'm, I'm probably talking to people who are going, oh, I do a lot myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm just saying that a, a healthy board needs to be trained that they're the ones who n- need to be adding to their board, not the executive director. Yeah, I'm so glad you brought up the listening prayer piece. I, just as a closing thought, I've heard you speak on just the idea of how a body, a body, right, a corporate body makes um, godly decisions, right? How to, that we don't discern, discern individually, but there's kind of this collective discernment that takes place. And learning how to do that is really hard. Um, you know, I think we all want our boards to have, um, to be operating in the wisdom of God and the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but, but really going um, to to somehow kind of a collective discernment is a, is a hard process. Maybe just as a point of encouragement for those that are listening, you could talk a little bit about your experiences in, in trying to do collective discernment. 
So it it is something that is beautiful and it's it's kind of to me like why are we wasting our time not using collective discernment because when again we worship and adore this god who is present with us and is always speaking but are we always willing to listen we tend to use our, our collective brains that we have and our experiences from our businesses that we all run and we come together as a board at a board meeting and we all like in our flesh try to make decisions that and and we tend to use the wisdom of man which is so silly when you think about that we could as a board be collectively inviting the presence of God into these decisions that we're making and sitting in a meeting with 12 people and sitting in silence and allowing the Lord to speak to our hearts individually and then taking time to share collectively what the Lord has impressed upon us because he knows it all, sees it all, has a plan and a purpose. And it it seems so foreign, especially to my the businessmen in my life. Um, they're like, what? That's not what we do. We we are we don't know about that. That's yeah, we we love God, but no, that's not how we run our businesses. And maybe they should be running their businesses like that. So so this thought of uh, there's two books that I'll throw out, Mastering the Art of Presence-Based Leadership by Keith Yoder and Pursuing God's Will Together by Ruth Haley Barton are their game changers for board meetings. They're game changers because they help us as a group collectively take time to, and, and Mary, you know that term that I used, to worship we worship God in a board meeting, and then we're going to get a little work done too. But as we worship, the work unfolds in front of us, and it's it is sanctified and it is um, edifying. It's unifying, and it has been given to us divinely. And another phrase that I always say is, "God does the heavy lifting." We so often are burden bearers as the executive directors. And God says, no, I'm, I'm the burden bearer. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So this present practicing presence-based leadership and listening prayer really allows us to have the burden lifted and, and know that God does the heavy lifting. And when he shows up, because he's God, he shows off. And it really is a different way to run a ministry and a board meeting. And I highly recommend taking time to read the books and uh, ask for help with facilitating and training because it, it will bear eternal fruit. It's just unbelievable 
that it's something that so many of us do not do because we're used to, we pray at the beginning of our meeting and we pray at the end of our meeting. And then we do all the work ourselves between the prayers. And God sits over on, in the corner because we did say hello and we're going to say goodbye too. <laughs> we, don't, we don't just say hello. We usually say goodbye. But other than that, we do all the work in between. And he's like, if you had asked me in between, I might have had something else to tell you. Yeah, I love that phrase used, you know, that we take on the work of burden bearer, but that the that God really wants to bear the burden for us. That's profound and rich stuff. Um, something I will carry with me for the for this day. So thank you for that, Sue. So thank you for just drawing from your experience. You know that you've rep, you've sat in a lot of different chairs uh, around this topic, and we're just grateful to be able to tap into that. Um, Heartbeat does have some resources available, or I'd be happy to put you in touch with Sue if you'd like to explore this topic further. Um, but as we sign off, Sue, just be assured of our gratitude um, and for your expertise and wisdom uh, in being with us. Well, I'm so happy to be with you all, and God bless everyone who's listening this in the work of your hands. Just, it's an honor to serve alongside with you. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. Today's sponsor is Heart and Home, an e-newsletter publication by Heartbeat International. Now coming to your inbox each month, Heart and Home is an opportunity for you to hear from others in the housing community about how to develop successful programs and support new mothers in a residential environment. Stay updated to the latest research and trends in maternity housing by going to heartbeatservices.org to sign up. You can also find other e-news publications such as Medical Matters, Advancement Trends in the Life Community, or On the Leaderboard that highlight other pregnancy support roles. Thanks for listening to this episode of Pregnancy Help Podcast. Today's sponsor is Heart and Home, an e-newsletter publication by Heartbeat International. Now coming to your inbox each month, Heart and Home is an opportunity for you to hear from others in the housing community about how to develop successful programs and support new mothers in a residential environment. Stay updated to the latest research and trends in maternity housing by going to heartbeatservices.org to sign up. 
You can also find other e-news publications, such as Medical Matters, Advancement Trends in the Life Community, or On the Leaderboard that highlight other pregnancy support roles.